Good morning. It's Friday, and we haven't learned anything on this week's parsha yet because we were sitting. No, we weren't sitting shiva, but we were in a shiva home all week, so we did not learn. So I'm going today to try to go through the entire parsha of Chukas. Obviously, we're not going to go. No, so we're not going to do it in depth the way we would normally do it. But at least to give an overview of all the stories that are in this week's parsha, because Chukas happens to be a fascinating parsha. There's a lot of really interesting stories in this week's parsha. And we could have had some very interesting conversations. Uh, there's always next year, right? There's always next year. So let's just go through the parsha in an overview without getting too into any of the details. The first discussion of the parsha is the para aduma. The para aduma is the red heifer, the red cow, which was used as an atonement for a person that had come into contact with a dead person. Coming, there's obviously many different levels of tuma, of ritual impurity. The greatest form of impurity is a dead human being, death, which is the opposite of life. And therefore, unlike other, other purification processes where you could just go to the mikvah and be purified, the purification for a dead person, for coming into contact with a dead person, was a seven-day process on which a person would be sprinkled with water that had in it the ashes of the red heifer, it was burned together with cedar wood and hyssop <clears throat> and tied together with crimson red uh, string. They would burn it together. They would put the ashes into mayim chayim, living water. And on the third and on the seventh day, they would sprinkle this person. And then he would become ritually pure at the end of these seven days. Obviously, a lot to discuss in that and why it was done, how it was done. But... <clears throat> <coughs> We'll leave it for right now. The next story is the death of Miriam. The death of Miriam is mentioned right after the, um, right after the dead. The <coughs> 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 I don't say, huh? Okay, let's try that again. Take two. The next story in the parish is the death of Miriam. She passes away on Yud Nisan, the tenth day of Nisan. That's the day for yard site. This is already in the 40th year. Side note, by the way, my wife's name is Chana Miriam because her naming, she was named on the 10th day of Nisan, which is Miriam's yard site. Just uh, putting that out there. Okay. So she passed away on the 10th day of Nisan in the 40th year. And when she passed away, you know what happened? The uh, water that had been come, uh, uh, following the Jews for the last 40 years, the Be'er Shal Miriam, the rock of Miriam, disappears. It stopped, I don't know if it disappears, it stops giving water. And of course, when the Jewish people have no water, they uh, panic. You know what they do when they panic, right? They start complaining. They're experts. Even though it's 40 years later, what? The rebellion. Although the truth is that the rebellion when they have no water is considered understandable. Not having water is a legitimate, a legitimate concern. It's a legitimate fear. But they come to motion. They say, why have you taken out of Egypt to die in this evil place, etc.? And God appears before Moshe. And God says to Moshe, take our own stick. And take the rock of Miriam and speak to the rock. I'm going to point out, we're not going to get too into detail into this, although, again, there's a lot to discuss. Hashem says to Moshe, take the stick and speak to the, to the stone. So God kind of sets him up over here. I just want to put that out there. God sets him up. God says, take the stick, speak to the stone, and the stone will give water in front of the eyes of the Jewish people and will give enough water for the Jews, for all of their cattle, for everyone to have plenty to drink. What happens? The Jewish people start rebelling against Moshe, and they're screaming and shouting. So they say, why do you need this stick? Any stick. 
uh, sorry, any stone should be able to give forth water. If it's God's miracle, well, maybe that stick has a certain you know, hidden water inside that we're not aware of. Take a different, different stone. The stone disappeared. Moshe got angry. Again, there's many commentaries that explain this story. But at the end of the day, Moshe was upset. The Jews were arguing. And he took a different stone that the Jews had given him. He was kind of stuck because he couldn't say no. Hashem's miracle, miracles could work on any stone. And he spoke to that stone and garnished. There was no water. And then Moshe said, Shimunah, listen to your rebellious people. Uh, any stone that I show, you doubt the words of Hashem. He hit the stone the first time, and water came dripping out. A little bit of water. He hit it a second time, and the water came gushing out enough to give all the Jewish people enough water to drink. And even though Moshe had performed the miracle, water had come out of the rock. Now, if you ask me, if you hit a rock and water comes out, that's pretty miraculous. So my personal opinion is that God has still been sanctified by hitting the rock and water coming out. Sounds pretty cool. But Hashem says, since I told you to speak to the rock, and the Jews would have recognized that just from speaking to a rock that gets no reward for listening to Hashem, and gets no punishment for rebelling against Hashem, and yet the rock listened to the word of God, how much more so you, the Jewish people, should listen to the word of Hashem, and because you did not sanctify me in the eyes of the Jewish people in this very public setting, Therefore, you are going to be punished. You will not be allowed to bring this nation into the land of Israel that I had promised to give them. And just to prove that this is a punishment, Hashem is like looking for an excuse not to bring Moshe into the land of Israel, not because it was such a terrible sin, is that Aaron is also punished. Now, what did Aaron do? Absolutely nothing. Aaron has nothing to do in this story. And yet, the punishment of Hashem is given both to Moshe and to Aaron. They both are not allowed to enter the land because of this, which again uh, reiterates that yeah, even though it's true that Hashem judges a tzaddik by a hair's breadth, you know, for example, you have a white shirt and you got a little, little bit of uh, uh, soda, I don't know, something exposed to it. On the white shirt, you see the stain. If you have a black shirt, you don't see it, right? If it's a colorful shirt. So a tzaddik is righteous, they're pure. So even the smallest sin is judged very, very strictly. But still, at the end of the day, Hashem felt that Moshe did not belong in the land of Israel for one very simple reason. Moshe belonged with his people. A shepherd does not abandon his flock. And since Moshe Rabbeinu's nation, his flock, was the generation that he had taken out of Egypt, those were his people, Hashem said, it's not fair, it's not right, that the people you took out of Egypt, they got left behind in the desert, and you went into the land of Israel. And so, even though Moshe theoretically could have argued Hashem enough times that Hashem would have let him go into the land of Israel. Moshe accepts this decree, and Moshe stays in the land, in the desert, with his nation, waiting together with them for Mashiach to come when they all will enter the land of Israel together. Moshe knows that once the Jews are going to enter the land of Israel, he's going to die. So what does he do? You would think you start kratzing. You know what kratzing means? No. Taking your time. Yeah, diddly, diddly dallying, or however you pronounce it. That's what Moshe would have done. Why would he rush to go to the land of Israel? Immediately after this decree of God, he looks for the shortest route to go straight up into the land of Israel. This would be going through the nation of Edom that was on the south. And of course, the Edomites say, absolutely not. Even though they promised to not bring their own food, like when you go to the airport, right? You can't bring water through the security, so you have to buy a bottle of water for $6 in the, in the, in the airport uh, kiosk. But he said, we'll, we'll buy water from you at the Disneyland prices and at the airport prices. We won't bring our own food. We won't, we'll, we'll, everything will follow your roads. We won't go off the roads. Nevertheless, the king of Edom said, absolutely not. 
and he comes forward with an army to stop them from entering into the land. And so the Jewish people turn away. They go further away from Israel to the, going towards the east, going away from Israel, then going up north. At that time, who dies? Aaron dies. Now, Aaron is a very beautiful story how he passed away. He was buried on a mountain called Har Hahar, which literally means a mountain on top of a mountain, like an apple on top of a bigger apple. All the mountains and the valleys and the ditches in the desert were flattened by the clouds of glory, with three exceptions. One of them was this mountain where Aaron was, died, where Aaron was buried. How did it happen? God came to Moshe in the morning to take Aaron, to take him to pass away. Again, there's a lot of beautiful details here, but in brief, Moshe and Aaron go up the mountain together with Elazar. Moshe, Aaron, and Elazar, the son of Aaron, go into the cave on the top of the mountain, and there Moshe miraculously undresses Aaron and dresses Elazar in a way they were never uncovered. And as he took off each one of Aaron's garments, a white, pure garment came on Aaron's body instead. And then he told him to lie down in the bed. He commanded him to close his eyes, stretch out his legs, cross his hands, etc. And then, by the kiss of God, Aaron died. And when Moshe saw the beautiful death of Aram by the kiss of God, Moshe said, if only, if only I could also die such a death. And God promised him that he too would die by the kiss of God. Miriam too? What? Miriam too. Yes. Miriam too. But those not say that because it's not modest to say that, you know, she died by the kiss of God. So it doesn't say it like that. What was the dying, uh, when, what day did he die? Why did he die before Moses? I guess Moses will be the last one to die immediately after Moses' death, or immediately, 30 days after his death, the Jews across the desert, across the Jordan River. So I said, Moshe and Aaron both were deemed by God not to go across the Jordan River into the land of Israel, because they had to remain with their nation. At the end of the day, the hitting of the rock is the, is the pretext, or is the, the, the way that God makes it, they should have entered the land of Israel, but it's God's plan. They shouldn't enter the land. They belong with their generation. Moshe, Aaron passed away on Rosh Chodesh Av. On the first day of the month of Av is his yard site. And it's in the 40th year after they left the desert. So the year 2,488. Or 2,487, rather. Okay. After Miriam died, the, cloud, the well of Miriam went away. After Aaron died, the clouds of glory go away. Now these don't come back. The, the water comes back in the schus of Moshe Rabbeinu. But uh, the, the, the clouds of glory don't come back. When the clouds of glory go away, guess what happens? Amalek, they see the opportunity. The same people that had attacked the Jewish people 40 years early when they just left Egypt, they come running back for attack number two. And again they attack the Jews. And the Jews become very, very disheartened by this attack. And they retreat seven journeys. Then they run away. They, they retreat. And as they're running away... The Levites come behind them, and the Levites come to stop the, uh, the retreat, and eventually the Levites fight against the Jews to stop the retreat, and then they bring the Jewish people back to uh, where they were before, and when they come back to where they were before, the Jewish people become very, very demoralized, they see the, how they lost people in the war, and how they had run away, they became afraid, they had no clouds of glory, and what do they do? They cry out against Moshe and against God saying, why did you bring us here to die in the desert once again? And now Hashem is angry. What does Hashem do? Hashem sends snakes. That's correct. Venomous, poisonous snakes to come and bite the Jewish people. And these poisonous snakes would bite the Jews and immediately they would die. 
And as soon as the Jews see the snakes, they realize their mistake. They realize that they made a sin. And they come running to Moshe and they say, Moshe, Moshe, Chatanu, we have sinned. Because we have spoken against God. And we have spoken against you. Hispalel el Hashem. Please pray to God and take away from us the snakes. And from here we learn the attribute of compassion and forgiveness. And even though they had just rebelled against Moshe and spoken against Moshe, as soon as they came to Moshe, said, we're sorry, we sinned, please pray for us. Immediately Moshe forgave them, and he prayed to God for forgiveness. Hashem says to Moshe, make a, a copper snake on a large snake, on a large stick, sorry, a, a saraf made out of nachash, and you'll put it on top of the uh, stick, high, high up in the air, and whoever will be bitten by the snake will look up at the snake that's on the top of the stick, which really means they're going to look up to the heavens, because they're going to look their, lift their eyes up, and they're going to lift their eyes up to remember about God, and then when they see the snake and they look up, they will be given the ability to lift. <clears throat> now obviously, this seems very much like idolatry, and in fact, later on in the times, I think of Chizkiyot, if I'm not mistaken, this snake will be destroyed, because indeed the Jews began to worship it, they began to look at it like an idol, and the fact that they could look at it and be healed, and they forgot about the fact that it was just a reminder of Hashem who was up above, and therefore I think it was King Tzitkiyahu who was the one that destroyed it uh, to stop the Jews from worshipping the snake. Anyway, I think it says also Moshe threw it up in the air in a very high stick, and then this, the copper snake just landed on the stick and it stayed there anyway. But the point is, they looked at the Nechash Hanachoshes, they looked at the copper snake, and they lived. Why were they bitten by snakes? Just one quick thought. Why were they bitten by snakes? It's back to the original sin with the uh, snake. <laughs> exactly. What was the original sin of the snake? To talk lush and hard, to talk slander, to talk evil. The original, the, this, is the, this is the, when we talk about a snake, the definition of a snake is its evil tongue, the way it talks. And therefore, since they spoke bad against God and against Moshe, they were punished by being bitten by the snake that spoke bad. Now the Jews continue their journey up north, alongside Israel, but on the other side of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan River, and they come to the land of, oh, uh, they come, and as they're journeying up, the people of Moab hear that they're coming, and so they decide to do a, a sneak attack. As the Jews were traveling up north, they had to go through a valley, and the valley was like a gorge called the Arnon Gorge, through which there was a river <clears throat> that flowed through, and the people of the land of Moab, <coughs> and the people of the land of, uh, sorry, the Emirates, rather, not Moab, the Emirates, the Emirates, they decided that they're going to prepare a sneak attack, and when the Jews are traveling in the valley underneath, they're going to come on the, on the on, they're going to hide in the caves above, and when the Jews are below them, they're going to come out of the caves, and they're going to attack the Jewish people, and destroy them, and kill them, and that'll be the end of the Jewish people. What did God do? God did a tremendous miracle. And he moved the two sides of the, these cliffs. On one side where there was a cave that the people were hiding in. And the other side where there were protruding rocks. God moved the two cliffs together into each other. As if there was no valley in between. Destroyed, crushed like a grinder. You know, crushed up all the, the soldiers. that were hiding inside these, uh, these uh, caves. And now the Jews are traveling in the valley underneath. Oblivious of the fact that they have been saved from a death by the fact that God had miraculously crushed all the soldiers hiding in ambush above them. So God then did a different miracle, and he made the river that was flowing below in the valley go up into the cliffs, 
which obviously is not natural for, for rivers to flow upwards into the caves above the river, and there it washed out. It went into all the caves and into all the rocks where all people have been hiding. And then the Jews are traveling below and they see the river full of the blood of the Emirate army, full of the broken limbs and bodies and dead soldiers of the Emirates. And then they realize a great miracle that had been done for them and they sing another song. So besides for the Az Yashir, that they sing at the miracle of the splitting of the sea, here in the, the chapter 21, we have another song that the, song, the Jews sang of praise to the river that saved them from another death. Beautiful words, but we're going to leave it for right now. And then we come to the last Aliyah, which is the battle with Sichayt and then with Oig. So here the Jews continue going north, and uh, now they're coming to the land of Sichayt, who's the king of the Amorites, and they say, let us go through, let us come through, but again the same thing, and say, we'll pay Disneyland prices, we'll muzzle our cattle, we won't eat the food, we'll pay you for the water, we'll pay you for the food, we'll go on the road, and had Sichan agreed, the Jews would have just gone through his land, and they would have gone to Israel, and he would have, Sichan would have remained uh, the king of the Amorites, nothing would have happened to him, but instead what happened, Sichan was stubborn, this is what happens when you're stubborn and you feel in no way. And so he did not allow the Jews to go through. And in fact, this is because him and Oig, we'll talk about in a second, the king of Bashan, had collected taxes from the people in Canaan to be their guards, to be like a buffer that no one would go across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan because these two mighty kings, Sichain and Oig, were on the other side of the Jordan River in the land of Amorite and Bashan. What happens? Sichan gathers his entire army. They come out to a place called Yahatz, and there they fight against the Israelites. And instead of having to conquer each and every city on its own, Hashem did a miracle that all the soldiers of all the cities of this kingdom all came out to the border to fight against the Jewish people. And what happened? The Jews were miraculously victorious, and they conquered the entire land of the Amorites, including Cheshbon. Why Cheshbon? Cheshbon. Hashem made a miracle that they conquered all the lands, including the land of Cheshbon. Why Cheshbon? Because Cheshbon was originally part of the land of Moab. Now Moab, the Jews were at the, on the south, southern uh, border of Israel. The Jews were not allowed to attack Moab because Hashem had promised that land to the daughters of Lot. This was not part of the land the Jews were supposed to inhabit. So even though Moab was not attacked by the Jewish people, part of the land of Moab had already been conquered by the Amorim, by Sichain, and therefore the Jews conquered the land of the Amorim, they also conquered within that the land of Moab that had already been taken over by the Amorites, so the Jews got part of the land that, you understand, wars that happened between nations, a war that happens between the king of, uh, between the Amorim and the Moabites, is happening years before, in order that later, when the Jews will eventually come, and they're going to conquer the land of the Amorites, this territory that was conquered years earlier will become part of the Jewish territory. Understand? <clears throat> and so they conquer that, and they sing another song of praise to Hashem, and then they come to the battle of Oig, which is also where Hashem, he's very afraid, Moshe of Oig, because Oig has a merit that he helped Avram to save Sarah, sorry, not to save Sarah, to save light, and therefore he's afraid, Hashem says, and don't be worried, I will give him into your hand, and um, Oig puts up a big mountain, Oig was a giant from before the flood. And he picks up a mountain to drop it on top of the entire Jewish camp. At that moment, ants bored into the inside of the mountain, so the whole mountain crumbled and fell on his head. And when the mountain fell on his head, Moshe, who was ten 
amos high, 15 feet high, took a cube, uh, uh, axe that was 10 amos high, he jumped 10 amos in the air, and he chopped off the ankle of, of Oig. He chopped off the ankle, Oig fell down, and, he, and that's how he died. And by this, the Jews were able to conquer all the land of the Emirates and all the land of Bashan, which was north of the Yabbok River, all on the east side of the Jordan River.